Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp, a Ryorden verse read-along and analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Ryorden in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome back to the show. Today we continue our timeline journey with The Titan's Curse, Chapter 17, I've put on a few million extra pounds, and Chapter 18, A Friend Says Goodbye. As always, I have my points to focus on, and today we're finally getting something a little bit different, because today we've got battle, relationships, writing, and generally what I thought of it. But to begin, here's the synopsis. The battle commences and ends in many tragedies. With the stars above filled with a new spectacle, our trio come to realise what has happened, but deal with it in different ways as they head for Olympus to learn of the decisions made at the Council of the Gods. I said Council, but you know what? I think the Gods do need a little bit of cancelling here and there, but I mean the Council of the Gods. More so than I mean cancel. Um, And yeah, that is the synopsis for these two chapters. And we are very close to coming to the end of the Titan's Curse. And oh, there is, there are many feelings occurring. There is, there is a lot that's happened. So let's just get straight into it because we are starting with chapter 17. I put on a few million extra pounds. And this is the overview for that chapter. A battle of wits begins. Luke, terrified, begs Talia to join them and summon Bessie. Percy, bullheaded, taunts them both. And by both I mean Luke and Atlas, and I realise now I should have written that instead. But oh well. Our trio go to fight, Talia taking on her once friend, and Percy being Percy, taking on a titan. Hmm. As Talia and Luke hold their own, Percy is knocked aside and no one is shocked. At Artemis' feet, the prophecy returns and Percy takes the sky. Atlas's unkindness leads to an injured Zoe, but a trick returns him to his burdened place. Talia and Luke continue, but with a final attempt to fight, Luke is kicked to his death. With Dr. Chase on hand and Zoe mortally wounded, our team flees. Now I just want to put a quick in because I, I mentioned that I, I put Dr. Chase here and in the previous episode I kept calling him Professor. Um, I don't really care about his qualifications because I don't like him, but um, I realise now that I was saying Professor instead of Doctor when I should have been saying Doctor, but also screw this guy. <laughs> so I don't really care. But I thought I'd correct it in case someone's emailed or anything like that, um, or 
commented anywhere and I haven't seen it yet. I, I'm meant doctor, I just don't care. <laughs> and uh, on that, I will first go into battle because Rick is honestly actually really good at writing fight scenes. He's not the most consistent with it, I do admit. His fight scenes can go either way. My hip just cracked. I don't know if you guys heard that, but that was my hip. Um, 24, nearly 25, and my hips are terrible. Says a lot. Um, yeah, so his fight scenes can kind of go either way. And this is one of the few cases where it has good and bad at the same time. <laughs> uh, so, for example, Percy's initial mix up and fight with Atlas is actually really well written and kind of easily understood to see to know what he's doing during that fight and where he is how he's attacking where they're moving and the moment when um Ares curse comes in as well we can feel it and we can we can kind of visually see it in a sense as well which is always good when you can understand well enough what the story is saying to be able to picture it in your mind the only difference is kind of following that when Percy is out of commission that the fight scenes feel a little bit more complex and more difficult to understand for example the descriptions of Artemis and Atlas admittedly are easy to understand but they don't feel as exciting and engaging whether that's because it's Percy watching them that doesn't make it but really any fight should feel engaging to see even if you yourself aren't involved in that fight it's like um when you're watching game of thrones for example and you're watching one of the fights but it's from the perspective of a different character just kind of just watching them in general you feel engaged in the fight even though the character that you're following isn't involved in the fight i can't think of another example i don't really know game of thrones very well so i don't know why i reference that what i'll do instead is i will link some videos to hello future me's how to write fight scenes video and he basically explains kind of what i'm trying to say but not saying very well um and that's kind of a bit here like the fight doesn't feel that engaging with artifice and atlas like it's it sounds interesting and it it feels like it looks interesting it just doesn't engage us enough or it doesn't engage me enough at least to kind of follow along to the point that I felt myself just kind of skim reading it a little bit but having to go back to make sure I was paying attention well enough um oh someone has just put on a lawn mower uh hopefully you guys can't hear it but I can hear it so it's going to be distracting but anyway um there there is small moments instead actually the ones that are the most engaging are the fights with Luke and Talia though we don't really kind of get much of them so it's not consistently engaging which i think is the most frustrating because that's the more interesting fight because it feels more personal but at the same time doesn't and i'll I'll get to that but other than that so those moments you, you can understand what's going on the one that is the most confusing however is the trickery moment of atlas of tricking him into holding up the sky again it just it was written in a way that i kind of it took a few rereads to kind of, like I knew obviously what happened because you see the end result but the lead up to it I just couldn't figure out how it was happening or how it worked so I had to reread it a couple of times to kind of easily enough picture how it happened and maybe it was like a suspension of disbelief thing that I kind of need to have that I just had to believe that that was possible but it just didn't feel plausible enough for me to engage with that visual and kind of think it was possible if that makes any sense i don't know if it does but 
yeah that that seemed kind of the main negative that the Talia and Luke fight was the more interesting one even though we don't really get much of it and then the tricks that they have happen aren't the most easiest to follow and that that's kind of the only few flaws and they're, they're kind of regular flaws like when you have like the fainting that uh that Rick mentions or things that kind of lead to in a different direction in the fights that you kind of don't expect because you don't expect them the way it's written it feels so unexpected that you kind of can't follow it well enough um so that's the only negative that I have really about the fight scenes but the battles themselves were really pretty interesting although I do feel like they ended pretty quickly but to go on to the fight zone from what I was mentioning about Talia and Luke to go on to relationships now Natalia and Luke I really do wish there was more focus on not only their fight but their relationship as a whole we kind of don't get too much of a tie into the betrayal and depth of Luke and Talia's relationship to feel the importance of what's happening here I only know of the importance because I read of the read the diary of Luke Castellan which obviously is where our timeline began um but that I don't remember when that book came out but I'm pretty sure it was after all of the books so like it's not like you could read it before this and feel that significance but that's the only reason why I know of the depth of like the betrayal and that relationship and we get a few hints here and there of like them talking about how the gods have screwed them over and all these sort of things but there was no build up to that so it just feels very shoehorned in here um and we do have this moment of like Luke is afraid and appears to kind of not want to hurt her but needs to to complete his mission at the same time and feels like he doesn't have a choice and then Talia feels angry and betrayed though we don't fully understand why she feels that way at the same time other than what's happened with Annabeth but we don't really focus at all on Annabeth in this chapter so we don't really have that tie-in either so it's all just kind of frustrating like we know these are the things because there was a small little dialogue back and forth here and then Talia calls him a traitor at the end but like we don't really have much of an emotional engagement into that conflict because it hasn't been developed over the story it would have been great you know the scene that we have where Percy has gone to that uh, followed someone and he sees Luke with the general initially before knowing who the general was and stuff if Talia had met Luke at that point and had a previous engagement with him because this is the first time that she's seeing Luke since before she became a tree she hasn't seen him since then as far as we know I don't think she did I don't think there's any storytelling of any time prior to that so this is the first time that she's seeing him there's no real emotional depth to it so we we don't feel this betrayal that we're probably meant to feel all this conflict about her decision the biggest confusing part is when they are fighting and when Luke is basically beaten and he looks afraid and he looks angry at the same time and stuff like that and Talia is crying he tries to fight her again almost seemingly trying to kill her and we don't really understand why he wants to get the upper hand again or why he possibly wants to kill her surely he should be trying to convince her to join his side more than want to kill her but that doesn't happen so i think if if this fight was to feel more significant 
the only way that could happen would have been to have drip fed information or have a previous interaction with Talia and Luke in this book with him as he is now or, or something like that just for this to feel more significant because even though it, you know there is a depth to it the depth isn't actually there so I feel like it needed to be built up for this confrontation to feel significant where it is now because just right now it just it really just doesn't and that's kind of the end for chapter 17 really I don't really have much else to add to that those are just kind of the main things that I feel like fighting was good it was easy like I, I do enjoy Rick's fight scenes like they're easy to follow they're engaging enough they could be done better but this is also a kids series so like I understand why they're not done to a detailed level and then the Talia and Luke relationship I really wish had been just done a lot better for that fight to feel more significant and for, for Talia's choice to feel more significant as well more significant as well like she's choosing the gods over Luke who is her family and we kind of we don't fully understand why for that reason either which I think is the problem at the same time but yeah that that's all I'm gonna say so we'll move on now to chapter 18 a friend says goodbye at, oh, and this is the overview for chapter 18. Our team escaped from the mountain, but it is too late. Zoe, knowing she was the child of the prophecy, who would die at a parent's hand, can finally rest. She can see the stars and now will forever be with them. With a goodbye to Zoe, Artemis flees to the council meeting. Our Pegasi returned to take our heroes there as well. Annabeth and her dad share a moment. Yeah. With Talia asleep, Annabeth and Percy finally speak. Did that kind of rhyme? I think it kind of did. He always knew that she was okay, and she knew that he knew that too. But she knows the same thing about Luke. He isn't dead, but in a moment... Percy desperately wishes he would be. Though we don't actually have confirmation that he isn't dead, but Annabeth believes that he's not. Oh, and the Council of Gods has begun. Now this... <laughs> I'm going to start with a negative for this chapter. Because you guys know what I'm going to say. And then I'm going to end on a positive. So, I want to start with relationships again. And look particularly at... Dr. Chase and Annabeth. Because this chapter starts with their interaction and Annabeth being excited, but also following up about how he managed to get so. Oh, yeah, so he came to their rescue. I didn't want to talk about that in the previous summary because I don't like him, as we have discovered throughout this entire series. <laughs> um, so he came to their rescue and he'd melted down the celestial bronze that she'd left at the house and turned it into bullets to put into his, into his planes. And he refers to her running away as when she left. And she gets embarrassed by the term that he used. And I had such a visceral reaction to that because why the hell should she be embarrassed? This family has made her want to and made her run away 
because of how they have treated her. That is not her fault and nor should she be made to feel embarrassed about it. And also, he shouldn't pussyfoot around the word because, yes, she ran away because of how they treated her. The fact that he is not confronting that or being honest with that is then making her feel guilty when he should be the guilty one. He has not given her the relationship that a father should give their child and he is making her feel bad and I hate it. And now of course also we get the full truth that he knows that San Francisco is dangerous for her. We knew that before, but we now get full confirmation that he knows that it's dangerous for her. And he then has the cheek to say that he and the family will protect her when their distrust and unhappiness of monsters coming because of Annabeth is what drove her away multiple times in the first place. To then, of course, add insult into injury is that Percy does literally not believe her and basically says so, and even saying maybe they've gotten better to her face. The San Francisco thing literally only happened recently and is said in this book that they move to San Francisco and want her to come with them. Yes, lovely that they want her to come, but they know that it's dangerous for her to do so. I am so angry that this child is being made to feel like she is blowing things out of proportion, not only by her own family, but also now by her best friend, who literally reacts... Let me... Let me read the passage to you, actually, because, wow. What is it here? There we go. Your dad seemed cool, I told her. It was too dark to see her expression. She looked back, even though California was far behind us now. I guess so. We've been arguing for so many years now. Yeah, you said. You think I was lying about that? It sounded like a challenge, but a pretty half-hearted one, like she was asking it of herself. Firstly, that peeves me off, because the way that is written is making it seem like she was making up and exaggerating. She ran away when she was seven because life at home was made so unbearable for her. Seven. And she stayed run away until she returned briefly and then had to leave again because of them. And then returned again and then had to leave because of them i didn't say you were lying it's just he seems okay your stepmom too maybe they've uh gotten cooler since you saw them last she hesitated they're still in san francisco percy i can't live so far from camp firstly also the fact that the monster problem is a thing as well as the camp aspect but that whole scene angered me so much because it's like it feels like actual gaslighting now that she is now made to question whether it was actually as bad as she thought they this family made her run away three times before the age of 14 three times one of them at seven one of them probably when she was maybe around 10 and again when she was 12 that's no no 
I, I'm not happy at how quickly this is being moved along and seemingly resolved. There is way too much hurt and distrust for this to be easily resolved, but it feels like it's going that way and it feels like it's going to be made to be Annabeth made this all up in her head. And I hate that so much and I'm so disappointed considering we had, as well as the fact that Percy himself is from an abusive household, for him to make her question whether or not it was actually that bad kind of makes me want to punch him in the face. <laughs> Percy, you were literally in an abusive household yourself. Different kind, sort of, but just as bad. If Annabeth ran away from home, that means it was bad. And I just, I don't understand how people can think that it can't have been that bad when a seven-year-old was made to run away from home. Because it was that bad. Like, what the hell? <sighs> but to get on to something more positive, though, I will move... But well, actually, no, it's kind of a little bit of both. I will move on to writing, however. In particular, the writing of death scenes. Now, in comparison to Bianca's death, which I will have some things to say about... Both Luke's in the previous chapter and Zoe's now are incredibly well done. There is emotional tension and emotional connection to it and we witness both of them. The star's connection with Zoe, though I do wish it was brought up a bit more previously in the book, has a moment for us to feel the impact of her actual death as it is heartbreaking. In the previous chapter, she can no longer see the stars and is kind of slightly freaked out about it and, like, sounds... It, like, it's heartbreaking. She's like, I can't see the stars. I, I can't see them. So kind of, like, freaking out, basically, because she can't see them. And then when she accepts what's going to happen to her, knowing also that she was the child of the prophecy and is going to die, she can see the stars, finally, and dies with her eyes open, which is also described to us before being made into a star herself, where she gets to live on as the last thing that brought her peace. And that in itself was such a beautifully well done death scene, because we have that emotional connection to Zoe, because she's been developed as a character. But also the scene itself hurts to read it because we are feeling this emotion similar to the whole Luke thing like it feels emotionally devastating that his relationship with Talia has broken down so much that she would kill him and that Annabeth who still kind of in a sense wants him to be good witnesses it and then we see his crumpled and crushed body on the rocks visceral emotional impactful those are what these deaths are and then in comparison to Bianca, who was not developed as a character, dies in a ridiculous and unemotional encounter and dies, quote-unquote, off-screen without us actually having the emotional weight of finding her and burying her. Imagine if we'd actually had a scene of them finding her body, crushed probably from the robot, and these children having to dig a hole to be able to bury her. It, yes, this is a kid's book. It would be horrible. But we've gotten that here. We've got a crumpled dead body on a rocks with Luke. And we've got someone who's dying from poison but was also crushed by her father. 
those are two very visually visceral moments as well we could have had the exact same thing for bianca and it would have felt emotionally impactful of being like wow these chill like not only would it have us have an emotional impact with that character who then have to bury this child but we would then feel this utmost sadness for the loss of bianca whereas we don't get that because not only do we not see her die we don't know for sure if she is. We assume so, but we don't ever actually get full confirmation. And she dies in a way that doesn't feel emotionally impactful because we're already thinking she's an idiot because she's responsible for her own death. Zoe's loss is made to feel significant with how it is written and how we and our characters experience it. Even Luke's death and possible not death is made to feel visceral more so than Bianca's. So we care about, we care more about these two outcomes with Zoe and Luke than we do with what happened with Bianca, which kind of shows how a good death scene can be written in comparison to a bad death scene. I think this is kind of all I've got to say about this. I think it's frustrating that there is the chance to have something like this, like what was done for Zoe done in a similar way for Bianca but we don't get that so we can see how it could have been done and the fact that it wasn't frustrates me more so but the loss of Zoe the relationship between Annabeth and her dad which I I hate I'm glad that she she should be able to have a positive family relationship but the fact that her family are not dealing with what they did annoys me the most because it's making it seem like Annabeth is at fault that she took it too far that I am not okay with but everything else about these two chapters well there are things that I do find negative about them like the fact that the relationship between Talia and Luke wasn't built up the relationship between Annabeth and her dad is not great as a whole the writing of the death scene for Zoe being incredible and then the fight scenes being a mixture of good and bad. These chapters are, I think, the strongest in this series. There are things that I don't like about them, but there's always going to be something I don't like about a chapter. But these are definitely the strongest in this book that I've read so far, other than the opening chapters. And yeah, that's kind of all I have to say. And because I'm remembering now, <laughs> here is this week's question of the episode, which will also be going up on our social media. So this week's question of the episode is, how did the loss of Zoe Nightshade make you feel? Just because I'm intrigued to see the reactions that people had to this death. So yeah, that is this week's question of the episode and be sure to answer it on all of our social media or email in if you want to as well. Because we are finishing up, I want to thank you all for joining me today for chapters 17 and 18. Be sure to join me next Wednesday as we continue our Ryan verse journey to plug where you can find our podcast we are available on spotify apple Podcasts, where you can leave a rating and a review audio boom stitcher and deezer in the meantime between episodes you can find the best damn camp on social media at best damn camp pod on instagram and twitter and if you want to email me with your own thoughts you can email the best damn camp at hotmail.com and we'll read it out at the end of the show if you want to support me making this content, check me out on Patreon at A Healthy Dose of Fran and check out my YouTube channel, A Healthy Dose of Fran, for more Percy Jackson content and drop me a follow at A Healthy Dose of Fran on Instagram and at A Dose of Fran on Twitter. Again, thank you guys for tuning in 
As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter, and I will see slash speak to you guys next time. I can see the stars, guys. Can you?